Hey folks, as you know, Witch Police Radio covers the Winnipeg music scene, and one of the bands that gets brought up over and over again as an influence, as an inspiration, is Propagandy. I want to introduce you to my new favorite podcast. It's called Unscripted Moments, a podcast about Propagandy, and it's hosted by two teachers in the U.S. who break down a different Propagandy song each episode. This is like an extra set of liner notes for every individual song. Check out the new EP from Lana Winterholt, Hold On To Me, which was fully conceived, recorded, and released in quarantine. Six tracks with a range of sounds from lo-fi beats to acoustic, pop to instrumental ballads, yet uniquely Lana Winterholt sound. All sales from digital downloads on Bandcamp and physical CDs will be donated to organizations who are committed to working against racism. Check out the new album by Winnipeg country singer Sean Burns. It Takes Luck to Get the Best of Me is currently sitting at number one on the Earshot Folk Roots Blues chart and is available now for streaming or purchase on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, and everywhere else you get great music today. Get up up your ass and get up on the podcast! Witch Police Radio! Witch Police Radio! Witch Police Radio! Witch Police Radio! Get up up your ass and get up on the podcast! Witch Police Radio! All right, welcome to Witch Police Radio. Uh, this is a bit of an unusual episode. I'm still doing the remote thing as usual because we're still stuck in pandemic hell for the foreseeable future. But um, this is a, an episode where I kind of we're planning on talking about a documentary film that that I guess it just came out, but it was filmed quite a while back about the local hardcore scene. And you know, usually when I would talk about something like this, I'd have the filmmaker on to <laughs> answer questions about the movie and talk about everything <laughs> that went into making it and all of that. But instead. He kind of recommended that I talk to two of the people who are featured in the in the film, two of the, the who are in bands that are featured in the film. So I think maybe the best way to even get this started at all is if you want to just introduce yourselves and just give a little bit of background about your history in the music scene. Yeah, my name is Cam Scott, and I am a talking head in the movie, <laughs> as well as I suppose kind of a writhing, abused body in some of the live footage yeah, uh, yeah. in the capacity of front person i used to shout in a band called under pressure right and we were together from 2002 or three until we played our last show i think in may 2009 okay and since then i've played in other bands ranging from uh punk and metal grindcore uh indie rock free improvisation noise all kinds of different configurations but but that was the longest i played in any one band and we were lucky to make a bunch of records and tour around and to be in that film too my history is a, is longer but less prolific <laughs> okay okay uh i've been playing in uh hardcore and punk bands since the uh, early 90s uh uh, played in numerous bands, probably best known for being in the band Hardboiled, the pseudo straight edge youth crew band, right. and uh, also singing for uh, Deadstock Crusher, better known as DSC. Uh, both bands were around a couple of years. Hardboiled was 97, 98, kind of around there, and DSC was maybe 04 to 06, I think. Okay, okay. Well, and I find the, the time period covered by the documentary really interesting. The documentary is called The Manitoba Connection. I guess I should mention that as well. But, I mean, I, used to, I, I went to a lot of shows, uh, not just punk shows, not just hardcore shows, but everything, kind of in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then I sort of stopped for a while. And then I, I, I maybe later on in the 2000s, I was going to more shows again. So the period covered in this film is kind of like a big section of local 
heavy music really that I just kind of missed entirely. So it's kind of cool because I remember a lot of the bands. I remember, you know, I have some records by some of the bands, but yeah. it was interesting to see because it was like a music scene that I was aware of and that I, I was familiar with, but I just was absent from all the, you know, inter intertwining things that happen within a, a music community. So it was cool to see that from kind of an outsider perspective, also having some context for the bands. So that thing is now available on Amazon Prime. So it's 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 out there for, you know, a lot of people to see. <laughs> Potentially a much yeah. bigger audience than would even be familiar. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely out there. So how does that feel for you guys? I mean, you know, this is a period in your lives when you were, you know, you were doing something, obviously you were very passionate about at the time. And you're kind of in this documentary that maybe you didn't even think was going to ever come out. And now it's sort of out there in the world for everyone to see the kind of good, bad and the ugly of Winnipeg's hardcore scene. What is that kind of feeling like? Well, for me, I mean, I, I, I was half excited for, I remember the interview and I would run in from, run into Brian from time to time and give him a hard time about this documentary that never <laughs> seemed to materialize. And, uh, and it actually finally came out, and he would send me kind of cuts throughout it. And I and I thought to myself, man, like, for me, this, like, I had been in bands for a long time before this era. But for me, this was the the best era for me, like, as far as the music. And I was a little bit worried about, <laughs> about how some of us would come off. But I, some of the biggest, goofiest people came <laughs> off the most intelligent i was totally blown away it was, it was really <laughs> great and he was very kind to me at least in my uh in my interview and cut out all the <laughs> the horse and <laughs> yeah yeah so it was okay it was okay it turned out okay i thought everybody turned out well and it was a good uh, representation of what was going on cool cool what about you cam i i mean it's it's an interesting time capsule because he really does depict all of these different not entirely non-overlapping scenes uh in in overview i think that maybe some of the i think it's all you know ultimately <clears throat> if not uh light-hearted some of the ribbing yeah is it's not real enmity because I feel like I was at all those shows, you know, um, I was actually amazed at how, at how many people he, uh, he, he managed that there, there were bands I'd forgotten existed that he had great footage of. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I should shout out buried in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I, that I, band, yeah. I, that was great. Yeah. yeah I really, great um, <laughs> Totally. I just, just these glimpses of these shows that were so good and so much a part of, you know, every week, maybe every night of every week of my life for, yeah. for these years. Um, so it's really cool how many people he talked to and how many shows he filmed. Yeah. I wasn't prepared, you know, for the, I think the, the depth maybe, um, and of course you're dealing with a 35 minute movie you're kind of skimming the surface you get like in, in terms of how much you can engage with any one any one band sure. but i just I, you know i made a big playlist after that and just went back there because I'll, I'll, it's sort of like a, an implicit subthesis of the film i think that a lot of these don't get their due outside of winnipeg 
Yeah. And you can say it's geo-isolation. You can name all the factors that people do talk about in the film. But there are these great unheralded bands. And, you know, I, I um, have their demos in a drawer somewhere. And it was just really wonderful to see them all in one place. Yeah. In terms of the time elapsed, when, when when was most of that movie filmed? 2003? I think it was... I come across... I come across like a bit of a stammering idiot. Um, I'm a little <laughs> petulant. But that's a great affect if you're in a punk band. Totally. You know? That's one of the, that's one of the few places where you can make your petulance currency. <laughs> uh, so, I no, I mean, I thought it was great. I thought it was just a little, this tremendous live footage. Yeah. It really took me back to some of the most exciting shows I've ever seen. Well, I think one of the coolest things about it, too, is it's right in that sweet spot before everything started getting documented. Because now every band plays a show. They have 10 people, at least in the crowd, filming the whole thing. Oh. Whether it's good quality or not, right? You, you have some kind of document of it. And that was kind of right before the cell, whole cell phone, social media thing really blew up in a big way. So it's kind of, you know, because anything before that, it's you're lucky to find a tape, especially video footage. And this was kind of, uh, yeah, like he, he got a lot of stuff, including a lot of bands that, that I wasn't even familiar with at all. So it was very cool for me to see that because, you know, those are the ones I knew of. And then the, every once in a while, there'd be some bands like, I missed this completely. This is cool. And I did actually go out and seek out some records by some of these people because like, it was really cool stuff. Any discoveries that, that you, you missed that you were like, whoa, this is amazing. Yeah. Fuck Morg. Yeah, I I had no idea, and I bought that record. I listen to it all the time. It's fucking great. It's so good. Like that, I, I wish I had seen them live because, like, seeing them in that documentary, I immediately looked them up and I went and actually bought the record like that day. And uh, great band. They were ahead of their time, weren't they? With the with the synth and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was very cool. And they kind of had an interest. They had a, they have an interesting afterlife in that that record came out perhaps more or less as a demo or a self-released cd yeah and then was pressed on vinyl a decade later yeah yeah oh, really? so yeah so so I, I i saw that reviewed all over the place you know years after they'd broken up because it was given a second life on lp and, yeah. and, it, and it deserves it you know yeah, it's really because cool. under documentation is a problem too well, it's a problem with everything, I think, within a, within a, a small independent music scene. And I think that, like, something like this is important because it's going to make it available for people who either weren't there at the time or are too young to have been there at the time. Like, does this, does watching this film make you guys think that, kind of, would you like to see some of those recordings from those bands get reissued now? Like, has that sparked any interest in sort of finding all this stuff and getting it out there again from your own bands? Uh, not so much from my own band, but uh, definitely from like the, maybe not such a controversial opinion. But I always thought that the Insaniacs did not get their due. Yep. I always felt like they somehow fell through the cracks. And I remember seeing them early on and thinking, like, "Holy fuck, these guys get it! They <laughs> they they're like real fucking punk kids doing punk music, like." I, I thought I was seeing the second coming of Black Flag. Like I, I just, I loved it so much. I, I, and I always felt like, man, they're just a victim of circumstance. Like, like we're just like again, kind of reiterating what, what Cam was saying. Like it was just a matter of like, like we're, we're fucking eight hours from anywhere. Yeah, you know, like it was it was crazy. So they they didn't tour and nobody had money. So I mean, they ended up touring later on, but. I think it. I think a lot of that got missed, and I think that just geography kind of screwed them a bit. But yeah. maybe in this digital age, it'll come back as well, a something. 
that's kind of the thing too, right? I mean, not only did did it miss that that era miss the whole everyone documenting everything on their cell phones and social media, but it missed the kind of uh, Bandcamp era, right? So all all these old albums. I mean, I have an Insaniac CD and a tape, but I mean, I don't think you can get those in in stores anywhere now. You kind of got to just find it or get someone to make a copy for you or something, right? But like now, everyone right. and their dog is putting out any demo on. Bandcamp and it's there forever, and yeah, all the, yeah, all these bands are they're just stuffs just missing from it's like a an absence from people's catalogs unless unless you held onto them from back then. I I agree. The Insaniacs were tremendous live band, and I was really happy that their records are on Bandcamp. Some of those self released CDs are on Bandcamp. Um, and for my part, I really want to firmly say I think that the DSC LP is tremendous. You can, oh, self -dep yeah. you can be self-deprecating. You can be self-deprecating if you want, but that's like a <laughs> that's like a treasured record of that of that period. Oh, thank right? you. This ain't working. I ain't working. This shit ain't working. What's the final one? There's there's a a guy that had remap. He actually like I was I don't know how someone sent me a link and this fella had uh, remastered the hardboiled demo and I went on this site and there it was the 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 Winnipeg Hardcore Archive. Cool. And it was like a site and there's a site out there. Oh, I've seen that yeah. on Bandcamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he has all kinds of stuff. There's tons and, of demos uh, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Nash is the guy's yeah. name. And, yeah, and I was even in a band with him for a minute and uh, many years ago, like 20 years ago. And, well, he's in about uh, 300 yeah. bands at all times anyway, so yeah, he's yeah. Uh, very active, yeah. Super nice guy, big-time music lover, and man, and he has documented it all. At least from the pre... He might have some stuff from like the, what I would call the thrash renaissance, like the DSC under pressure era. Right. Like that 2003 kind of era but uh 
but uh, yeah, so there is a bit of that happening now where people are like, man, we got to get this stuff out there. And, and I think people are digging it. Like I know Brian who did the video has been, he's like, Whoa, this is like crazy. There's so much Winnipeg stuff. So maybe, maybe people will find it that way. Hopefully. Do you think that the, uh, the documentary, I mean, obviously it's interesting to you guys because you're in it, right? And your friends' bands are in it and your bands are in it. But is there, like, what do you think is the appeal, I guess, of Winnipeg's hardcore scene to, say, the average person who stumbles upon it on, on Amazon Prime who's living in, I don't know, Calgary or, or, or the States or whatever? Like, is there something unique about Winnipeg that kind of makes that a compelling watch for, for anyone? Whether, whether you're, you know, especially if you haven't, you have no context for Winnipeg scene at all. That's something I wondered myself, actually. Your question is a question that I asked my wife. I was like, who <laughs> would we like, who, would anyone find this interesting that wasn't in this? <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, talking to Brian, he's getting good feedback. Uh, I don't know what particularly, I feel like the, when, when bands made it out of Winnipeg and maybe like, like Cam's band toured extensively. So he might have better feedback on that. But like, I found that when our records made it out, like we got good reviews. People loved our stuff, and and uh, and I know they loved Under Pressure too. And uh, I th- I think that Winnipeg had a lot to offer, but um, I don't know. Uh, like anything was like characterized Winnipeg stuff apart from from the other stuff. But maybe Cam can add to that. I think that the appeal of the film, I, I think it's framed really well. You know, you you wouldn't need to see. Certainly, it would be. I think a little more, uh, I have more sentimental value if you're watching it and you can pick out your friends and you think yeah. I was at that gig, you know, Anthony Bueno, whose presence in that movie is, uh, really important to me. That was great to the see square that. Heads, the square heads were just incendiary, yeah. really one of, one of the best live bands. And he was such an incredible person and a staple of the scene that I was so happy that he was, uh, <clears throat> front and center but i i think that he talks about the albert you know you go back over the shows and you think about all these hectic hectic things that happen night after night it's definitely more enjoyable to watch the movie and think like oh yeah that show i got a concussion that show you know um the police shut down that show this happened that happened i definitely if you can insinuate yourself into the action then it opens up a whole, you know, a whole world of association. But I think that Brian put the film together in a really intelligent way. Uh, the, 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 in terms of differentiation of the scenes and the bands and the, the anecdote, I think not only would it be, would it kind of whet the appetite of someone from another scene that didn't know any of these bands, but I also think that people from other cities would see themselves in it too. Sure. It's a really common, it's a, it's a common experience. A lot of people will have this experience of coming in age in a really insular, incredibly devoted microcosm like he depicts. Yeah. And they're all different, but there's a similar structure of feeling that I think he captures really well. Totally. I think depending on, it doesn't have to be even be hardcore or punk rock or, or metal or anything like that. It could be, you could be in a country scene and you could have the same experience. I mean, obviously it's a bit of a different sound, but you still have all these bands that you, you play with. You could be in the hip hop scene and you have all the same people that you, you see every night. You see the same venues that are that important to you, the sense of community and then the internal squabbling and the different subgenres and things. So yeah. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I'm glad to hear that everybody had the same experience as us. <laughs> um, I, and you know, I think that I, I think that that actually is one of the things that I was the most trepidatious about is the squabbling. Yeah. You know? I, um, I thought, oh, did I say something really? Did I say something really provocative and antagonistic that I I'm gonna I have to be seated in a theater? It just so happens it came out on the internet during covid and everyone's under house arrest yeah. so we can't have it out but i was like am i going to be sitting in a theater next to someone who i'm just hammering on but it was it was yeah. edited really uh it was edited sensitively because you know the stakes of that moment are really amplified too you think like oh our band and our message it's really life and death yeah and it is and that it's very life sustaining and maybe everything else that you could get up to is by comparison kind of unsavory and self-destructive and less positive but i um i'm 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 really glad that brian kind of protected me from myself <laughs> Well, I think a lot of people in that film too are of an age of an age where like they they could say something that maybe in retrospect doesn't reflect their their current views, you know, 10 15 years down the road, right? So yeah, it's nice that that didn't happen. Oh yeah. yeah. I he I should the, say he cut the film was amazing. Like he, like he he I agree Cam. He say like I know that when he interviewed me it was like 2 days after DSC broke up and I was just remember sitting there going don't say something stupid don't say something stupid I remember that feeling <laughs> Oh that's so, fresh I didn't know the timing Yeah it was cra- it was like minutes after it was uh, yeah I don't know how I held it together <laughs> <laughs>
like I, I find it super interesting that like you had missed that whole era and uh, you just uh, like like it, it's not like I didn't think it was gr- a great film. Like I I I enjoyed it. I loved. I remember like D- the DSC guys were a little bit older than all the other people, so I think we had a different perspective. And uh, Cam's group was kind of like the new upcoming yeah. kind of kids, and, and we had been around for a long time and. But we loved them because they played stuff that we liked and we felt like a kinship with them. And uh, so, like, it was really exciting for me to see it, like, carrying on in a really cool way that reminded me of, like, when I was 14, 15, 16, you know. And uh, so that's what I was getting out of it. And uh, and I do think that Brian did a great job, but I'm, I'm more interested in what other people think. Sure. No, no, no. I, that, that's a good question. Um, I think that, yeah. like, for me anyway, I mean... I, I could relate to all of it because I started going to shows with the Albert in like, I don't know, uh, probably 97, 96, like all ages shows there. And so I, I played in shitty bands, you know, back then I was in a ska band in the late nineties and stuff. We played a bunch of shows there and stuff. So I, I definitely had the, it wasn't the same scene, but I had the connections. And then in the late two thousands, I played in a band again and it was some of the same stuff. I was obviously older then and everything, but uh, so, you know, I, I knew the experience whether I necessarily knew those specific incidents or not. But I mean, uh, there's one squarehead show in there that I was definitely at like in the crowd, oh, okay. you know, mo- most of it I missed, but there was a few definitely moments where it's like, Oh yeah, I, I remember this completely. But uh, as someone who just kind of obsesses over the Winnipeg music scene, like, and its history, it was great for me because like I said, there's all those bands that, that either I knew very little about or was introduced to for the first time, like fuck morgue, for example. And it was just like, this is great. <laughs> where was I when this happened in the first place? So, and I think that would have happened um, if the film had been set anywhere, really. Like, if I'd heard a band on any documentary about a music scene that, that really kind of, you know, twigged my interest, I would probably go out and find their stuff too. But the fact that it's local just kind of makes it more like uh, a little bit feeling like I missed out and also feeling kind of like, oh, this is great. Winnipeg's, it just kind of adds to my opinion that Winnipeg has such a deep and uh, rich music scene of all genres and always has. And there's just so many bands uh, and so many bands doing crazy things that you don't hear about until sometimes a decade after the fact. Right. I agree. I agree. It's always been that way right yeah. from the start. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting since I was, since I can remember, like as soon as I was old enough to like listen to this, like underground music, when I knew what that was, regardless, you know, I always thought, man, what a pig is crazy. And then as I got older and I traveled around, and, you know, because, like, that's what you do when you're 19. You travel around and go see bands all over the North America. And I thought, like, man, this would be so much better in Winnipeg. Because <laughs> <laughs> the scene was always, like, so lively in Winnipeg. I loved it. Yeah. And, I mean, there was, like, bigger cities with bigger shows. But I I thought that was, like, you could see even see, like, when the bigger, the breakout bands, like the like Comeback Kid or yeah. whatever, like, you could see how huge it was. Like, people were so into it, you know. So I thought that was interesting, and, and it's small enough that everybody knew each other, and which probably created some of the friction, I'm sure. Sure, but you couldn't, you couldn't like uh, retreat to your little corner of hardcore or punk or whatever, right? It was like, well, you know, like whatever. Like it could be, yeah, it could have been anything. Like it, whether it was like religion or politics or whatever, there was always something to fight about. But it was like. But but yet we would like we had to like live with each other because everybody played the Albert, everybody played the Pyramid, everybody played the basement shows. So yeah, it, it, and it's always been that way. So 
one of the things I found most interesting about the documentary too is like you're saying there's all these different scenes that are all interconnected and like the focus on the, the Christian hardcore scene and stuff I remember some of those bands and I remember thinking like as a non-religious person at the time and now it's just it seems so weird that Christian hardcore was a thing but it was really really big in, in Winnipeg and there were a lot of like really Dude, successful man. bands and I didn't I don't think I really realized kind of the extent of it um, until watching that, that that these bands were so popular because I knew of them and you know I went to occasionally a show where there'd be one of them on the bill with a bunch of non-religious bands but yeah it was it was surprising just how huge that scene was yeah it was crazy and i and i think at least from me and cam like i can't i don't want to speak for cam but i know that we really as like guys that came from a different part of punk like we i i was maybe less vocal about it but i know that i i struggled with it like, yeah I, I thought what is this like, I, can't, <laughs> I couldn't wrap my head around it but uh whatever it is what it is <laughs> i mean and and that's the thing it it, it it is what it is. I um, don't feel the same. Is that is that the most is that the most uh, pressing issue in, in the world today, or even my life? Far from it. Yeah. But at the time, you know, it was it was a really big scene that I regarded as you know, basically Puritan. I, but I had politically intentioned reasons, I think, for that confusion. Uh, I remember some of my first exposure to it, like, there were big benefit shows for the League for Life. You know, yeah, really yeah. Anti- really? An- yeah, like anti-choice. Totally. Like, and it was really, so it was really, wow. really vocally anti-choice and it yeah. seemed really conservative and our our stance as a band was really more purposed against what we perceived as a very conservative puritan yeah it's a contradiction in terms kind of family values yeah recuperation of hardcore that didn't make any sense to us so we were antagonizing the social conservatism do I care about people's metaphysics respective of one another? You know, no, no, I, 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 am very little perturbed by how people practice whatever religion they wish, but it, but it was a social movement that was very, uh, very narrow in its, in its view of the world. I thought very sexist, very homophobic. Yeah. Well, I remember going to some shows at, around that era too, and and seeing some of the you know they they always have the merch tables at the back with all the literature and everything, and usually it was you know fairly progressive uh, and even like you know hard left kind of uh, anarchist type literature at some of the shows, and then you'd go there and you'd see a bunch of tables about revolutionary stuff, and then there's whatever the the Christian band was, and they had a list of artists you not you shouldn't support because they're pro choice. And I remember looking through this they had pages and pages and it was like, you know, it's like Pearl Jam is on there and stuff. And I, we, I remember being, I don't know, 17, 18, whatever I was. And this might've been a few years earlier than that era depicted in the film, but, but still it was just absolutely shocking to me that this was a part of the scene. But I mean, of course it is right. There's people are, people are expressing themselves through, especially punk rock. It, it appeals to pretty much everyone, even though it seems like it shouldn't like, I mean, it seems like it should appeal to a certain type of kid, but everyone finds some kind of rebellion in it and some kind of uh, ability to voice their own beliefs in it. So it's not that shocking, but at the same time, it kind of did feel like it was uh, back then. I remember anyway. Wow. That's a, 
Man, I, I clearly was willfully ignorant of what was going on. I don't know what band it was. I blocked that out of my head, but I remember seeing that, and that, that left an imprint. It was like, wow, this is a... Don't support these bands because, yeah, it was first and only time I ever saw that at a show, that's for sure. Wow. I, I mean, I knew... I mean, my experience with it was that the dudes that I knew, uh, like, I knew them from when I was, like, in the straight-edge scene, and they had kind of broken off into this Christian thing, which I was not interested in at all. But I knew them, and I always knew them as nice guys, and those were like the comeback kid guys. Yeah, not yeah. all of them, like, like some of those guys. And uh, they were doing their thing, and it wasn't my thing, but I was kind of like, okay. But I guess maybe I didn't realize how deep some of that stuff went. But I always had good experiences with them. It wasn't something that I was like interested in in any way, shape, or form. But I was like, oh, well, whatever. And and how I kind of viewed like like uh, some of the the – antagonism that was going on between the groups is that and just that i was a bit older was just like oh you know these are like young guys and girls like figuring out the like everybody's like think wants to change the world and they're just figuring it out but i didn't know it was like league for life benefits and wow i feel kind of like out of the loop now but oh well. well you know and on another level i think probably there's the ideological um discomfort that i had at the time but also it was just it was just like affective it was just a difference of style is that we thought that punk should be transgressive in some sense Uh, and um there's some some kind of weird humming behind me We we thought that punk should in some sense be transgressive and and kind of something snottier with more of a negative charge yeah sure and and that that scene was very wholesome and i think in a way it was just styled differently i don't want to reduce all the antagonisms to problems of style sure but i watch it in some respects and i'm like oh it's like the narcissism of small differences you know you're in these small quarters because maybe in that movie under pressure appear as um part of the all ages scene and we didn't play we didn't play 18 plus shows yeah. um, ever eventually on tour because we started touring a lot and internationally and we we you have to get gas money to get to the next town so eventually on tour we decided you know if we can't get an all ages show you have to play in idaho sure. you have to play to get to the next spot so we we're more flexible with that rule once we were actually trying to fill a gas tank every night, but we didn't play 18 plus shows in the city. And that's a stance that comes across in the movie, but what doesn't come across in the movie is like, we loved those bands. We were at all yeah. those shows. Yeah. We would sneak into all those shows. You know, the Albert was our second home. Yeah. I think I was so, 15 the first time I snuck into the Albert. Everyone did. right? Precisely. Was, yeah, yeah. Precisely. It's yeah. not really an obstacle. Like no. in the, you know, Oh, you're not 18. Well, it's, it's got, it's got a, it's got a back door. You Which know, is you always open because people place. are going outside to smoke. So you just walk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, that, yeah, I think that, um, our, so some antagonisms, I understand some of them are overstated because, um, you know, there was a lot of back and forth between those scenes.
How do you think, um, do you have kind of a, a perception at this point of what the current day Winnipeg hardcore scene is like? Because in watching that, I mean, I, you know, I'm like 38 years old. And so for me, I mean, I'm not going to shows. I've got kids. I don't go to shows as much as I used to anyway. But even still, I don't think I'd necessarily be going to the shows where it's a bunch of 18-year-old bands. I'm sure some of them are amazing. And, like, every once in a while I do hear something by a younger band that blows my mind. But, like, do you think it's it's similar? Or do you think that the, kind of the whole culture has shifted now where, I mean, the Internet is so much more important in terms of how bands just <laughs> go about their daily business and just kind of, like, venues have changed and... and like, do you have a, a grasp on what it's like now in comparison to what it was before? Uh, you want me to start, Ken? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah go, go for, for it. it. Go for uh, it. I don't. <laughs> I don't have a clue. I don't have a hot clue what's going on, man. Like, uh, yeah, I, I think I kept playing in bands until my mid to late 30s uh, unsuccessfully. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then I just realized, like, man, I am out of the loop. Like, I, these, like, I can't it wasn't like I had a, like, it wasn't like I felt like, uh, like I, I didn't like the bands. It was just like, I, I was like, you know what, man, I'm getting, I'm closing in on 40 and, uh, I'm playing to like 15 year olds and they're looking at me like I'm a creepy old man. And <laughs> I think it's time for like the new kids to do their thing. And I, and I just realized that it was better to be a spectator. And then just like you, uh, you know, you have kids yep. and, uh, that's it. You're, I mean, I still do make it up to shows, but admittedly, it's like like touring bands that like bucket list bands that yeah. I wanted to do or whatever. And uh, yeah, I don't have a clue. And uh, I can only imagine that, that, you know, the sound like I would imagine the like the scene is is still got the same energy. Like it's not like kid, teenagers stopped happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's like <laughs> well, I- so. Uh, I mean, my exit, I had, I think, like, I can't imagine things change. I mean, like, the politics were changing. Even as I was getting older, it was getting, like, what I thought was more, uh, not that I had an issue with it, but it was definitely more progressive than the stuff I, like, it, it was really, like, when I got into the punk and hardcore thing, it was really about, like, just think for yourself and, like, you know, uh, you don't have to march to the beat of the same drummer and it was very individualistic and it evolved into like, okay, well, like uh, vegetarianism is important. Like, okay, it's good to think about people, but you know, what about the animals? And then, and then it was like anarchism, you know, like the propaganda era. And then it was like, uh, you know, and it just kept evolving and evolving and evolving. And I, just as things do, because that's the way the world works. And uh, I can only imagine that it's the same anger and energy and 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 uh the issues that we were fighting against just on a more i don't know progressive scale at this point but cam might more have have more foot in that world than i do well just just before you before you answer that cam um i think the the reason i was asking that question is is sort of to figure out whether i mean do you think that maybe this this film documents kind of an era that can't exist anymore in the sense that like the way just just the way the music scene is is different people are the way people consume music is different. The way people go out to shows is different. The concerns for, um, you know, uh, social concerns about going to shows are maybe different. Like, there's a lot of talk in the, in the movie about, uh, you know, drunk kids damaging community centers. And I remember that happening, too. I remember going to shows that got shut down for that exact reason, right? But, I mean, you know, I feel like uh, culturally and socially, things have maybe changed to the point where... I don't know if that would happen nowadays. Or maybe it would be, like, different. Th- there's different concerns, right? Like, do you think that this maybe 
captured uh, a place in time that is relatively unique. I mean, teenagers will always be teenagers. People will always be starting punk bands, but I don't know. Like, do you think this is an era that kind of stands alone just because things have changed so much in such a short amount of time afterwards? I think, well, for me, at least as, as, an, as a, like a guy that was maybe around a little bit before that era, um, I know that we would kind of chuckle to ourselves and we used to call it right click core because the internet had been invented and these, and these young guys like Cam were already downloading like obscure seven inches from Soulseeker or whatever, right? Or whatever people were using. And we were like, we didn't have that. <laughs> we had to go to the record stores and we had to drive to Minneapolis and we had to search for the bins and these guys just right click it and get it, you know? And so I can only imagine it's evolved from there. I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, we were very fortunate to, you know, you're getting into stuff in the early 21st century when suddenly everything is uploaded online and there was still a bit of a delay where, you know, not absolutely everything. Um, and, And it was still kind of, a point of entry into, you know, this analog world, the yeah. bins and so on. And I, I you know, I, I'm surely it is today too, but I, I remember, you know, discovering the internet as this trove of stuff, you know, like Russ describes, I'm exactly that age and it really facilitated my getting turned on to things. But before that, I remember, you know, going into the music, going to these stores and it's this funny thing that maybe other people can relate to where, you hear all of these great punk bands, shitty records first, because yep. they're the ones that are in the used bins. Yep. You know, like, like not even like super shitty, but like you get like American Graffiti by Flipper. You get like a reunion album on, that they made before you hear generic. Totally. And, and then at some point it clicked. It was like, no one's ever going to do that again. The order of operations is clear. You know, like you're just, um, everybody can source this stuff like that and and me too and it's uh i don't have some like media studies type thesis on how that (laughs) changes people's enjoyment of the music i think that people's connection is no less real but the sorts of social spaces that develop around music change sure it's a it's a funny time to be talking about this because you know when you asked what's the hardcore scene the punk scene like here right now um i mean there's some great bands in the city karoshi and gen x and bands i, li- I like yeah. to see when i can but you know right now everything is at a really low ebb and i realize at this point in my life i i'm a writer i do sound art i do all of these deeply interior things that you can do in seclusion if you're self-motivated totally. and and what and what that film it came out at exactly this moment it made me really really like heartsick for was that physical proximity everybody crowding a space and making something happen together you know it's not even that you i i don't even just mean it's the four guys in the band i mean everybody there is part of this momentum and um i haven't felt that for a while um I, that could that could be a remark on me, or it could be a remark on on, on where things are at, and I and I wouldn't venture to guess which it is. No, I agree. I, I I've had that same thought, 
Cam, where like, is, does this happen again? Where we're all in our gitch climbing on top of each other in someone's basement? <laughs> Like, yeah. Does this happen again, or is this over? I, yeah. So maybe it did capture a time when that was happening more. And, and, but like, like even after that, like I would have to ask, like, did it change much from that? Like, were the basement shows still a thing and all that? I don't know. I think it depends on on the type of music, right? I mean, like, I definitely like I was in a band in two thousand eight or nine was the last time I played in a band, I think, and we played a bunch of house shows and basement shows, but we were doing like weird, noisy punk stuff basically right so that was the key that was a prime type of venue for that but yeah i don't I don't know if it was as as maybe as widespread but what i do wonder about and this i, I know you guys can't answer this but it's just kind of an interesting thought i think is that like my own kids i mean my my, my oldest daughter is going to be in middle school next year this coming year and that was when i started playing in bands for the first time when i was you know grade seven or whatever and like th- this is happening i mean i mean now during a pandemic and it's such a different world that like you know if she ends up starting a band, which I hope she does, like, I, I just can't imagine the experience being anything even remotely the same as what I went through or what any of you guys went through, just because they're all starting from a point of having just lived through this crazy once in a lifetime, hopefully situation. And that's going to influence whatever art the younger generation creates, because it's this shared weirdness that they've all kind of, uh, yeah, grown up with that we, we didn't have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just said shitty Reagan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, either either it's like an incredible, uh, you know, like the revolutionary potency of this moment, yeah, is such that it's just going to manifest all this all this content for music, you know, and and art. It already has, yeah. Um, more practically, everyone's going to have a solo project. Everyone's going to have like a, an, a solo ambient project yep. because they're yep. trapped in their basement. Um, <laughs> I don't really, I, I don't really believe that. I mean, I, I, I still, I, I, I play bass in some grindcore bands and I toured around and, you know, those shows are raucous and I'm, I'm still involved in punk in a couple of different cities. And I think that it is, you know, it'll never be extinguished. Yeah. It's, I, I have absolute conviction in that, but yeah, it you, you, form at all. I think so. I mean, but again, it, like it, it just it changes like micro generationally, and it feels different. It feels different. I think that that film i watch it through the lens and and this is just me it would be totally different to the next person but i watch it through the lens of my involvement in that particular band it was this like life or death thing you know it was just like catatonic depression or we do this band and we do it this way and it was really there was no choice so i i i relate to it in this in this um almost desperate way if that if that isn't kind of corny to say and I think anything I say now is from the standpoint of someone who's pretty comfortable in his own skin and pretty like uh, formed, you know, and I don't have the same sense of, you know, the, that youthful hubris. Like I don't have the same sense that what we're doing in Winnipeg, in this scene, it's, it's like this central node of the universe. Right. And, but the at the time, it did feel like that, though. Yeah. 
And yeah. the film gives you that, that kind of cozy, desperate feeling. No, I was much older than you, and I felt like what we had was special. Because we would go to Minneapolis, and I'd be like, man, these bands fucking stink. You know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Winnipeg, you know, I always had that weird kind of, like, like I wasn't so ignorant to think that there was no good bands outside of Winnipeg. But I really held the Winnipeg scene in high regard. And I would travel, just like you you toured. So you had to, you know, you went to Europe and stuff. But, you know, I would travel around and see bands just like any other punk fan or whatever. And I always thought, like, man, Winnipeg had, did not, never gets its due. And I, I am convinced solely, like, it is solely based on geography. Solely. It's just yep. that it's too far from everything. Yep. You pick this city up and put it somewhere else. You got yourself a Portland or a, or whatever, you know. I don't think you know. Maybe not exactly the same. I just mean like the creativity is at that level. But isn't part of the appeal of the? I always felt that part of the thing that makes Winnipeg so great is that we are isolated. Like I feel like if we were maybe a bigger city or more more closely located to to other to other places, it wouldn't have that kind of. Uh, that kind of unique weirdness to it where you know everyone is so intertwined the music scene is so incestuous everyone knows each other and and yeah. it's just like every new band is an amalgamation of six other bands and it combines all those yeah. influences and all those sounds and all those players and just turns out something completely different right there is something to that i think too yeah like it's definitely there's and there's all sorts of factors like it's a grimy industrial town and it's it's a smaller city uh it's a rough city yep like fuller rough in Winnipeg and uh, I think that adds to the aesthetic for sure um, yeah 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 I think you're on to something there yeah mm-hmm. and certainly when bands get out of Winnipeg I mean I relate to that that regionalism yeah. blatant localism right I uh, I really was fiercely proud of the Winnipeg scene and you know and people should be because you know on one hand, I was proud of it because I was formed by it, you know, and I was like the best bands are the bands of the people I know that I go see. But also because if you understand that you are, and this is what punk is really about, right? If you understand that you can be like an agent of cultural production in this way, you're not a passive recipient. You're part of, you're, you're part of a community that's really making the things you want to see happen, happen. Sure. Then I was formed by it. Those were the first shows I saw. The bands I wanted to be like, you could hang out with after. It's, 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 it's important, that accessibility. But also, you get a chance to form part of it, you know? So people, can, you, you, you develop, it's like a pride of possession totally. in a way that, that I think that localism is important. But for that reason, on the basis of that localism, you can make real lasting connections. We were talking about how the Insaniacs were an underrated band um, outside of Winnipeg. But because they did tour the West Coast, I remember, you know, you would you could go to like you could go to Portland and San Francisco and people there would be like, oh, you're from Winnipeg. The Insaniacs are a great band. And that those kinds of calling cards, it, it, it's cool to find them sort of littered around the world in unexpected places. I yeah. don't know if this is a, a relatable experience, but it was one of the joys of touring was like being an ambassador to this 
to this scene that was so important to yeah. us. Well, and I think the Winnipeg is really good for that too, for, for just turning up Winnipeg bands, turning up in bizarre places, whether it's someone, you know, halfway across the world happens to have a seven inch of some band that was from here and they don't even realize they were from Winnipeg and you're talking to them and that comes up in conversation. Like that's just happened more times than the, that I would ever have expected. Um, I have a cousin in England, most of my family's in England, and I have a cousin over there who, unbeknownst to me, has been listening to Winnipeg hip hop, like the Peanuts and Corn stuff, and, you know, that kind of early 2000s, for years. And he had no idea that his cousin, the one Canadian cousin he has, lived in the same city and knows some of those guys. Like, that was just a... We reconnected after about 20 years of not talking to each other because... The internet makes it possible now, and he started talking about all these records he has, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I, I know that guy," <laughs> you know, like, and it's yeah. a complete fluke. And I think that happens a lot because Winnipeg, again, has such a deep and rich music scene that so many recordings and videos and and things just get put out there in the world and and eventually find their way back to Winnipeggers in a really weird way. So hopefully this documentary does that. Like, hopefully someone will check it out on on Prime, I guess, uh, and. Because they, they they know Manitoba or they remember being in going to local shows at some point in history and it makes that connection for them. Me too, you know, and and and, and as someone who was kind of like yeah, like again, like I saw some eras before that, like I would say even two generations before that, and uh, for me, creatively, I like in my experience, you know, just my personal opinion, that that era captured in that in that film was the pinnacle for me. I thought the bands were the, the best. I thought, you know, granted, I didn't see the stretch marks and personality crisis in person when they were at their prime, but like, like late 80s on, I thought like, man, the, these are the best Winnipeg bands that have ever been, like for me, you know? And I hope that, that, I hope that people get that from, from that, that film because like, that's what it was for me. You know, I don't think for me, it was just like a, a nosedive after that. It wasn't like total crap, but it was like it, it felt like I felt a sadness when those bands broke up and moved on. And yeah. uh, and uh, I mean, people were doing new and creative things, but it wasn't anything that I was super into. So, yeah, I hope I, I'm glad that Brian, like, you know, I think about it now and I'm, man, I, I never saw that guy without a camera. He was always carrying a camera he was at every festival every show constantly talking to people so i hope that comes across because i thought that that was the pinnacle of creativity in winnipeg hardcore and punk like regardless of the subgenres within yeah the crazy wackiness of the squareheads the the street punky like early 80s vibe that the insaniacs had the 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 new crazy thrash sound mixed with rock and roll that under pressure had that I, I just loved, you know, uh, I just thought like, that like, and, and these bands were all coming from this little town, you know, that was like this oasis of awesome hardcore, you know, and I just hope that the people get that. I'm not a man, 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 I'